Okay. Ready? We'll do. A, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do. But you got to do the ands. One and two and three and four. That. Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Together, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Nope. Here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and. Oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. All right. Well, welcome to another wonderful, exciting episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. Yeah, we're a day late because it was my birthday yesterday, so I appreciate everyone being patient, but we are here to give you all the I'm okay, you're okay, I'm not okay, you're not okay sauce that you've come to expect during your week. I thought it was your birthday today. Yesterday is my birthday, yeah. H- happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. It was a lovely day of not doing very much, which is <clears throat> kind of an ideal birthday for me these days. Did you get anything for your birthday? No. Well... My mom gave me an Amazon gift card. My wife's getting me a Walkman, a Sony Walkman, and a Tales from the Crypt comic book collection. Like the original Walkman that plays cassettes? Yeah, I'm getting, I, I've am getting. i been collecting cassettes and just kind of getting back into... I've, I think I've been really depressed, and so I've been buying a lot of things that I did when I was a kid. I bought like the complete seasons of Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead and Aeon Flux. I've been collecting cassette tapes. I'm buying all my favorite 90s records on vinyl, and now I'm getting a Walkman. So when I go to the gym, I'm just going to take one cassette tape, and I'm just going to have that one record. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It makes me happy. What can I say? What did you buy on cassette? Oh, dude, I've got a whole bunch of... I've got probably 60 or 70 cassettes now, because they're still so cheap. So anytime I go to a record store, there's always a cassette bin. I mean, the most recent purchases I got were Octune Baby, uh, Edie Brickell... Uh, Ace of Base, The Sign. But I've got a bunch of cool, like, you know, I've got Disintegration by The Cure and all of Metallica stuff, some Pearl Jam, some good records too. Springsteen, a lot of Springsteen. And have you listened to any of them? Yeah. I've got a tape deck in my studio. Oh, you do? And and what does it sound like? Well, some of them, do you remember when how tapes used to get super warped, like warbly and fucked up? Some of them sound pretty fucked up. All of, all of the tapes that I have, because I used to only record on four track and eight track cassette recorders. Every time I've put in one of the, I mean, I haven't put one in in probably 10 years, but 10 years ago when I put it in, they were all fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they sit in your hot studio, right? It's like a bunch of Joe Rockhead tapes in your studio, aren't there? Dude, I have a box of 10 years worth of live shows from The Scabs and from Lonely Land that were all recorded to cassette. But they're all, I don't, you know, I don't know if any of them even play and if they do i mean they're just they're not good they're all like yeah how are you recording them from straight from the soundboard i was recording them through my butthole oh yeah that's why they sound like i should i should have probably not put the the mic in my butt well i was gonna say they've made quite a few technological advances in butthole recording since then so maybe Mm. you can maybe you can sort of cross analyze and cross uh Cross-fade and cross-reference buttholes from your past to your present butthole. Hold on a moment. <laughs> Speaking of your butthole, we got an email here that I, I was telling you before we started rolling. I really think you're going to like, Bob. Let's hear it. 
Jed Moffitt writes, and by the way, Bob and Clint at gmail.com, we read every single email we get, and uh, here it goes. Jed writes, hi, Bob and Clint. I should probably write this on Bob's Patreon, but I like it when you cut, when you two guys talk shit out. I wanted to ask Bob about the subject of recognition. He says, it comes up frequently in his comments, and understandably so. It came up again last week in the back and forth about Ryan Adams, which this must have been a few weeks ago. I can't remember. He says, first of all, I like Ryan Adams' music okay. He's written some pretty interesting songs. I've seen him perform, irrespective of whether or not he's an asshole. Uh, Ryan Adams cannot in the least compare with Bob as either a songwriter or a performer. He says, which begs the question, whence the recognition difference? I don't know what that means. Let's see what he goes on to say. He says, Bob, I am a songwriter and I work on it pretty much every day. I take a lot of inspiration from your work and I have no particular interest in flattering you. Well, too late, Jed. He says, but you're quite clearly one of the best songwriters alive, even to the point of who do you really compare to? I mean, Leonard Cohen, Randy Newman, Tom Waits, maybe Dave Matthews comes to mind. Those dudes all got their recognition and their payoff in a totally different time before the age of hyper distraction and no more album sales. I appreciate that you want to be recognized more for what you do, but man, I've seen you a dozen times in the Seattle area and you always have the tractor or the crocodile filled with people who love your stuff and really enjoy your performances. I'm sure I've been at some of those shows. He says, I'm sure that economics are part of the equation and it would be nice if you and the band could play somewhat bigger halls and stay at the Edgewater. So if it is economics, I understand your frustration, but your stuff is totally quality. Who would you trade with? Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber? I mean, isn't it all about timing and the cult of cuteness and personality at that point? Anyway, I simply think there are not that many people in the world that get where you're coming from who understand that we're all okay and who do not want to be polarized by the algorithms. Please keep writing and being an inspiration for those of us who recognize and appreciate your work. Peace to you both, Jed. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Jed. I really appreciate that. He says that you're incomparable, let, uh, except for the, the Leonard Cohens and the Randy Newmans, the Tom Waits, even the Dave Matthews of the world. What say you to that? I would say I'm better than Leonard Cohen. I would say I'm not better than Tom Waits or Randy Newman. Those guys are better than me. But I would definitely... I, I, I will go out on a limb and for sure, 100% say I'm better than Leonard Cohen. 100%. What about Dave Matthews? Oh, yes. Better than Dave Matthews, for <laughs> sure. God damn it. And I love Dave Matthews, and I think he's incredible. Like, I think he's amazing. But I'm, I'm really good. And it's not even that I'm really good. I'm just tenacious. And what I've done is I'm kind of like the tortoise and the hare, and I'm the tortoise. And what I've done is I've cobbled together year after year, I've cobbled together four or five songs every year that are really good. And I've done it for 20, 25 years. And so what I have now is I have a hundred songs that are really, really good. And Dave Matthews has 20 songs that are really, really good. And then he has a bunch of crap. And Leonard Cohen has... mm, three songs that are good and a bunch of crap. Now Tom Waits has 40 songs that are the best, my favorite songs. And then he has hundreds of songs that are really, really good. And Randy Newman has 50 songs that I could never even come close to. And then he's got a hundred songs that are really, really good. So I like this quick math you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing some math on it, but yeah. Uh, doing some quick math. You know, it's weird. I've been thinking a lot lately about what he's talking about recognition And I really am starting to realize that I have just the perfect amount of success for doing what I love to do, which is 
write songs and perform and not do anything else. Like, I don't have to do any of the bullshit that Ryan Adams or Ed Sheeran or anybody like that has to do. Um, those guys got to do like a lot of interviews. They got to talk to people all the time. Uh, they got to, they're, they're recognized when they go out in public. They, they can't go out in public. They can't do normal things. I can do all the normal things. Um, the people that do recognize me, it's not that big of a deal. Um, because I'm not that big, but I get to do exactly what I want to do. I get to write new material. I don't have any huge hits, even though I do kind of play a number of songs every show or most of the time. But even then I, I don't have to play those songs. I can play whatever I want and I get to play all my new material that I write. And, uh, I love it. Like I love what I do. My Fear is I won't be able to do it at this level in 10 years because I'll get older and then less people will want to see me or it'll be less desirable to see me as I get older. So the 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 fear is that I won't be able to do it at this level. And so that makes me want to be more successful so I can keep doing it at this level. Mm -hmm. Well, two things that I think about. First of all, I think that your audience is growing with you and they're going to still want to see you as long as you're making art. <clears throat> The second thing that made me think of uh, when you were talking just now is that it's really true, man. I mean, Dave Matthews last summer put out a great new record. I think it's great. Really divided on the fan base, but people are not wanting to hear that shit live. And he's wanting to play it because those are the songs he's excited about. And it's potty break time for his crowds, you know? And I think you get to a certain level of success where it's really hard to introduce new material and you are such a prolific writer, introducing new material to your audience and playing it live is a really big part of your ethos as an artist. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's why I do it. I've always said I never wanted to be in a cover band, even a Bob Schneider cover band. Like, I just don't want to do it. What gets me off is writing a new song and then playing it for people. Um, now, I don't mind playing songs that people know, and I do a little bit of it. I do... You know, 30% of my show, 40% maybe, is songs that people know. But the other is new stuff that maybe you haven't heard or maybe you've heard once. Or maybe if you're part of my Patreon, you you know, you've got the demo, so you've heard it. Or maybe if you watch the Saxon shows, you're familiar with it. Like, my hardcore fans, at this point now, they can kind of have access to everything. So it used to be I would show up and I'd play like half the set. They'd be like, I've never heard those songs. But now... I mean, the way it's set up now, you can you can get a hold of all that stuff if you are part of my Patreon or listen to the song club or, or watch the Monday nights. I remember for years in the song game, before you had the podcast and everything, it's just all all these songs would come out every week, and you might play them at the Saxon maybe, but for the most part, they'd get played a few times a month, and then they kind of go into the, the list. And it used to amaze me how good some of those songs were that no one would ever hear. And then, of course, all the songs I've submitted whatever was good about them. I mean, no one ever heard them. You know, I don't even know how to play them. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, it is weird. Like when you've written as, I mean, I've, I've, I've written over 2000 songs now. So it is weird when you've written that many songs, there's this thing that happens where you write a song and you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to play it Monday night. I might play it the next Monday, but then I'm probably not going to play this song anymore just because it doesn't it's just not as good as 400 songs that i've written you know what i mean or or 500 songs that i've written so 
it is weird to keep writing when you've written a lot of songs, but yeah. I think it's important and you can tell when people stop writing or you can tell when people don't need to be good to be okay in their songwriting. Um, they, it just stops being, there's something, it just stops being good. Like I still feel like I have something to prove. Like I want the world to adore me as a songwriter and they don't at all. Like, 99.999999% of the world. And I, you could probably add some more nines. Don't care. Well, and you're saying that when you finally are recognized and adored by the world as a songwriter, you lose an edge that you had when you were seeking it and fighting for it. I think that happens in all fields, yes. Yeah. When you have something yeah. to prove and you're the underdog, you're coming at it with an energy that you lose if if that, you know, if you're... If everybody says, oh, you're so great, then what do you have to prove it? You know, There's a really interesting interview with Billy Corgan, a Joe Rogan interview, where he's talking about when he got the call that Melancholy had gone number one. And it was their, the first Smashing Pumpkins number one, even though they'd been pretty successful, come up through clubs and theaters and arenas. And he said he got the call that they had finally gone number one, and he said he was depressed because there was nowhere else to go, except for down, except for back down. I always thought that was... That revealed an interesting pathos of the artist mind, you know? He couldn't even really enjoy it. My friend Drew Holcomb sold out two nights in a row at the Ryman, and I remember seeing him the next day and saying, like, dude, like, that's so cool, man. Congratulations. He was like, man, me and my management team are already freaked out about the next thing. Like, how do we keep moving that forward? We couldn't even enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I get, I get it. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that you can't strike a balance and figure it out. There's another songwriting email we got that I'll go ahead and jump to this. JP writes in, first of all, thanks so much for the podcast. I look forward to it every week. I'm never disappointed. Awesome. Cool. He says, anyway, I'd love your thoughts on something I go a bit back and forth on in terms of songwriting. I consider myself a bit of an amateur songwriter. I recently got Logic. It's a, uh, it's a digital audio workspace, a DAW. It's great for traditional recording, mixing, et cetera, and also comes with a crap ton of customizable, quote-unquote, drummers, loops, and samples that are easily dropped onto projects. My question is this. If you've taken preloaded digital snippets, thrown them together, maybe tweaked them a little, and the output is almost certainly something that's never been organized in that exact way, have you, quote-unquote, written a song? If so, at what point did you cross from someone else's creation to something original of your own? It doesn't feel the same as writing something on a guitar or piano, but then again... A basic chord progression isn't exactly inventing the wheel either. Best and hope to see y'all soon, JP. I think it's absolutely a song. I mean, hip-hop artists have been doing it with sampling for decades now. Yeah. And there's a really... I don't know if you're hip to this yet, Bob, but it's a really cool thing called Splice. Um, it's a subscription-based sample website. You pay eight bucks a month. People create samples and upload them, basically sell them the Splice and they get royalties from it. And you can type in anything you want, any BPM, any key. Uh, you can type in drum loops, pianos, synths, vocals, effects, and it just loads you up with samples. And you you get like 100 credits a month for seven bucks, and each sample is one credit. So what we're what's ha starting to happen now is a lot of producers and songwriters, you can listen to the radio now and you hear Splice because they're just taking stuff from Splice, mixing it all together, putting a delay on it or a compressor, turning it backwards, changing the key. And that's how songs are being written now. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I've done that over. I've done that lots where I'll just open up the loop library in Logic and pull out loops, and or uh, there's a thing called Machine that has all these like loops and and uh, whole songs that you can build on. And I've done that. Um, it's just like another instrument. It's just like it's just like picking up a guitar, or picking up you know, or picking up a piano, which is harder to do but i'm strong pretty strong dude you I'm are pretty so strong strong. S- strong of heart and physically know, strong yeah, breath that's strong strong coffee but. breath mm. anyways yeah it's just another instrument so it's just like anything you can pick up a guitar and write the exact song that somebody else wrote or you can pick up a uh you, you can play a sample uh of something and write something completely original so it's really up to you as a writer I totally agree. And that that loop machine isn't going to write the song. You still have to write the song. And it's a great starting point, too. Like, a lot of times when I get stuck, I'll pull up some weird loops or weird sounds, and it's a good jumping off point. I can I know that you do that, too. I can hear it in some of your music. You know, you can hear that a loop sounded really inspiring, and you base a whole song around it that might not have happened if you hadn't have plugged that loop into Logic or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's no... There's no... There's no foolproof trick to writing you just you just write and then it's like i really think of it as like fishing like you just put your put your you know put your bait in the water and and then you see what you catch and sometimes it's a a good sized fish and sometimes it's a small fish i know i speak for our entire audience when i say god we love your fish analogies when you can take life a sliver of life and compare it to the plight of fishing that's the real sauce well, that's why people listen to the show. Like, mm, is he going to mention that fishing and uh, analogy again? Because he's already done it four times. It's they're, they're keeping track, and then when they hear it, it's like a drinking game. But they they cut themselves. They're cutter. Yeah, right. We, our, our maritime podcast is largely for cutters <clears throat> out there, for sure. Uh, what are some things that you like, man? What have you been seeing that's cool? listening to dude i just got turned on to mine hunter so my wife watched it. it the first season and i watched a little bit of it and i'm like fuck this show because they were just interviewing like some serial killer i'm like i don't want that in my brain but like everything she started she was watching this newest season and it was just on and i was kind of you know puttering around the house and then sure enough after like three or four minutes i'm like mm, let me check this out and i sat down and then i was in and now we've just watched the whole second season or whatever season just finished yeah season two just finished the first one with ed kemper is really good uh i'm gonna go watch it uh now that i've seen the second season i'll go back and watch the first season it's really good yeah we love Mindhunter. the do season can i tell you what i don't like about it sure and it's all it's every TV series has this where the main guys are great. So the main guys in in, in Mindhunter are really good. Mm-hmm. But then they always have these fucking other characters that are such shitty actors. And it's always, for some reason, the main character's wife always sucks. And the chick that they have that plays the older guy's wife is so yeah, with, the, with the weird kid with the weird hair and the glasses yeah. like she's so shitty and they do they do jump the shark occasionally on that show where they're like 
they they just do this shit where they're like, well, we found the guy. And then the guy comes along and goes, well, we can't prove it, so we got to let him go. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, if you've been working on this case for fucking years and years and you finally have a sliver of a hope that it's this guy, nobody's coming up and going, well, we got to let him go. They're all like, hold on to this motherfucker. Like, so they do, but they have to do it. So they create tension, you know, because it's a fucking TV show. No, no, no. This is all based on true stories. They have to let him go because they don't have enough legal evidence to hold him. And if they do something illegal, they could blow the whole case that they have been working on for years. They have to play everything by the book or this guy may actually get off. Okay. Well, whatever. It just, it seemed like, it seemed like bullshit while I was watching it. It surprises me that you're one of these people that watches watches entertainment and picks it apart like that. Like, just accept what it is and have fun. Just get on the ride. That would never happen. No. most every dude, Almost everything you see would never happen. That's all I want to do is get on the ride. And, and I'm in, what's happening is I'm enjoying the ride. And then this character comes in and pushes me off the ride. And now I'm <laughs> on the ground. And I'm like, hey, motherfucking character, get the fuck off my TV so I can enjoy the ride. Hmm. So every time that fucking wife shows up with that hair, she pushes yeah. me off the ride. And I'm like... Can we kill her? How about having the lead son be a serial killer? No, don't do that. It's awesome. It's horrible. No, it's stupid. He's not a serial killer. He didn't kill the kid. Mm. By the way, spoiler alerts for Mindhunter season two. <laughs> he didn't kill the kid. He was with ki- older kids who killed him, and he's the one who put him on the cross. Guess how many times I've been involved in a killing in my life? Zero times. You know why? Because I'm not a serial killer. Well, the story's not about you. It's not Mindhunter with Bob Schneider and his childhood. I'm just saying, dude, nobody just watches some toddler get killed. People don't do that unless they're serial killers. People don't do almost everything that happens in shows and movies. Mm. That's true, but sometimes it's Do people do a lot of do people do anything that happens in the movie Blade Runner? Does anything in the movie Blade Runner has it ever happened to any human being? Yeah, well that's no. that's a documentary. Hey, uh did you see uh Brightburn? Brightburn. It's about the it's the superhero movie. Uh with with is Will Smith in it? No, no. It just came out last year. It's got uh it's the chick from Pitch Perfect who's one of the judges uh, produced it, and she's all she's also. Uh, Man, you love those Pitch Perfect movies. Good God, dude, I love them. But uh, I can't I I can't think of the chick's name. But anyway, it, the idea is it's like the Superman story, and then when the kid uh, at a certain point uh finds out he's from another planet he just turns into a fucking. Wait a minute! No kids are from other planets. That would never happen. I wasn't from another planet. Uh, anyways, uh, it's pretty good, but it's exactly like The Boys. Have you seen The Boys? No. Oh, dude, you got to watch that. That's so. That's pretty good. It's kind of the same movie. It's kind of weird. I was just wondering, like, I wonder who came up with this idea first, because there's like the same scenes are in both the series and the movie. The Boys. The Boys. Yeah, The Boys is actually better than Brightburn. But Brightburn's good. It got fucking shitty reviews, too. I don't really like superhero shit. 
Well, this is some dark shit, dude. Anyways, the idea that like you have a superhero that can't be destroyed and he doesn't give a fuck is pretty awesome. Like it it can be like that can be really truly terrifying. Right. How do you think what do you feel about the uh, new Joker trailer? Uh it's okay. I don't think that character is as interesting as the world seems to think. So, you know, it's a dark take on it. It's more of like a psychological thriller. He's a troubled guy. Joaquin Phoenix is a wonderful actor. But the source material for me is just so fucking old. How many movies are they going to make about him in Spider-Man? Just a million. Well, this is the first Joker movie, as far as I know. I mean, that doesn't involve Batman. The Suicide Squad had Joker, the the Jack Nicholson Joker, the Heath Ledger Joker. He won an Oscar. The part drives you crazy. It's just old source material. I don't know. It looks, it doesn't look good. I mean, I, I hope it's one of those where the trailer looks shitty, but the movie's actually good, but it does not look good to me. I saw some people comparing it to, here's a, a superhero movie I did see that I did think was good, was the movie Logan. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was like a, kind of like a film noir Wolverine movie that was really kind of just like a character drama. And that's what Joker seems to be. I mean, I'll go see it, but... It's not, it doesn't seem that interesting to me. Ooh, we made it darker and grittier. Okay, all right. Well, I would like to see more superhero movies like The Incredibles, where it's like superheroes, but like not have any action sequences or any fight scenes. Just like being a superhero, like having kind of the way I use superheroes in my songs, where they're just like doing normal things, but they're superheroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's what's pretty interesting about the world that M. Night Shyamalan created with Unbreakable. And then he did Split and Glass. I mean, that's kind of what... Have you seen those movies? Man, I tried to watch... I watched Split, which was shit, T, and then I tried to watch Glass, which was real bad Hmm. we have really different tastes when it comes to this stuff but nevertheless whether or not they're good or bad it's what you just said about superheroes being ordinary people that's what those stories are about yeah bruce willis doesn't even believe he's a superhero yeah and yet he is yeah but those are like superheroes that you didn't like they're like unknown superheroes like i want like the difference between batman and like the unbreakable guy is like the difference between Jimi Hendrix and some dude that works at guitar center. Like, I don't give a fuck about the guitar center, dude. I want to see what happens with fucking Jimi Hendrix. You want to see Jimi Hendrix being living a normal, boring life. Yeah. I want like, it's the difference between Jesus and some dude that like helps out, uh, you know, in Zimbabwe at a mission. I don't care. But you don't want to see them act like the superheroes they are. That's what we're getting at, right? You want to see them act like ordinary people, which makes them the same as the guy in Zimbabwe. Right. I want to see a movie about Jesus where he's got this great soup recipe and he's like, hey, I really have this great soup and I want to like, you know, manufacture it and sell it. And then people are like, it's not that great. And and he's like, no, it's really good. And then at some point he's like, oh, fuck this soup recipe. I'm going to become the Messiah. Like, that mm. would be fun. That sounds horrible. But I don't want to watch the same, you know, soup saga starring some unknown missionary guy. I want the I want Jesus. Yeah, well, 
good luck getting that movie funded and made. <laughs> Guess what I'm not going to be doing ever in my life? Trying to fund and get that movie made. I'm just hoping somebody else will make it. But I might write a song about it. Yeah. Jesus' Soup Kitchen. Guess how much it costs for me to write a song? I don't know. $7,000. Exactly. How did you know? Nailed it. Good God. Keen sense of intuition. <laughs> it cost me exactly $7,000 to write a song every time. Which is quite a bit cheaper than a movie, a production cost of a film. So much cheaper. Well, do we want to try to cram another email in here at the witching hour? Or should we just say goodbye to the people? We have to say goodbye to the people because we are out of time once again. Mm, it happened so fast. So if uh, if you need some more podcasts, check out Clint Wells's podcast metal up your podcast about all things metallica check out my song club podcast as well um and uh check out past episodes of i'm okay you're okay give us a rating five stars hey i'm not telling you how to rate us but yeah five stars and a review even if it's just like it's good it's fine just do that (laughs) and then by doing that We'll become super stars in the podcast world. We'll be on tour in no time, selling out theaters. How weird would that be if we could sell out the Ryman and it's just you and me doing this in front of an audience? Uh, It'd be quite weird. And guess what? Guess what? That's the world we live in. Let Let me just leave you with one thing to blow open your whole face. So recently, Microsoft launched an app that it's like Twitch. Do you know what Twitch is? No. So Twitch is like Instagram, but it's all video games. It's where people can upload themselves playing video games and then share it with other people who are also doing that. Wow. It's it's huge amongst teenage, teenage boys. So Microsoft just launched their own version of that app and they paid this guy Ninja, who's one of the top video game players. He's a guy that plays video games and posts them to YouTube and Instagram. Guess how much they paid him to switch over from Twitch to their app? $7,000. Like 900 and something million dollars i'm not making that number up almost a billion dollars to switch to their app and play video games that's the world that we live in right now (laughs) dude that's scarier than brightburn the boys and the exorcist and every horror movie you could possibly name right How crazy is that? It's crazy. All right. So on that note, we'll see you next time. (laughs) All right. Peace. Peace.